0: Welcome to the Defence Forces Podcast, brought to you by the Defence Forces Public Relations Branch. Hello and welcome to the Irish Defence Force Podcast. My name is Captain Richard Byrne and I'd like to welcome you to our special podcast series, In Conversation with the Irish Air Corps. This series was produced by the Defence Force Public Relations Branch and the Irish Air Corps Public Relations Team. A special thanks to Corporal Michael Whelam, the curator of the Irish Air Corps Museum and Noel Grothier for editing and producing the oral history recordings. Without a doubt, our personnel are our greatest asset. And in episode two, we hear from members of the Air Corps, past and present, about how they joined, memories of their training, and what the Irish Air Corps means to them.
1: Uh, I'm sure a lot of people, you know, of my era will remember the A Life Less Ordinary tagline, (laughs) and that definitely got me.
2: I was... I wasn't going to the university, and I was at home working in the farm. And I I saw an ad in the paper for cadets in the air corps and I decided to apply for it. So I applied for the cadets in the air That was in 1940. Anyway, I got through, I got through the interview all right, and uh, that was it. I came home when I was at home for until the month of April and uh, the postman uh, came around with letters, he had a letter for Jeremiah O'Connor, he gave it to my father and my father opened the letter of course, he thought it was for himself but it was by a letter for me telling me that I had been successful in applying for the uh, ship and that's how it was. Uh, called to report to the air Corps in the 7th of may 1940 and the way my father transmitted that information to me was he said we happened to be reclaiming a field at the time and we were draining it and uh, i was down on the drain with a brother in front of me he was digging i was shoveling it up shoveling the air top. And my father said to me, he says, "Here in God's name, he says, get out of that place and clean yourself." That was his. That's how he conveyed to me that I was selected for the kids in the airport.
3: Well, I heard. It, I heard uh, there, there was a, a what's called a, a topical talk used to used to be held on on the rte following the rte one o'clock news every day on, on the radio in those days yeah, yeah. and the talk the talk was about the apprenticeship uh, scheme in the air corps and that vacancies were arising you know and okay that's, that's 1956. I wouldn't
4: have had the opportunity uh, to do uh, my leaving cert uh, come from quite a humble background uh, my father was a farm laborer my mother was a housewife so money was scarce and uh, so um, the thing was I got in my group cert and uh, then you were looking for an apprenticeship so at those times the things you applied for were the ESB the Army Apprentice School and the uh, Air Corps Apprentice School I did the interviews for uh, the Army Apprentice School and the Air Corps Apprentice School on the same day in Watford Barracks Okay. Uh, in 1967 and uh, believe it or not I was offered both the Apprentice School uh, in NACE and uh, the Air Corps one, I got, I think it was, I'm not sure it was a letter or a telegram, so we were mm. got, inviting us to, uh, to go, and um, I uh, decided to take the Air Corps. Well, either would have, have done been. me fine, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the main aim was to get out of Kerrigan Vandal yeah. and to get into a job that earned money and not to be a burden on my family.
5: I worked at that time, I'd worked from 1968, started an apprenticeship in Short Brothers and Harlan as an aircraft fitter, and I completed the I completed the the apprenticeship in September uh, seventy two, and I realised that I wasn't going to stay in Shorten Brothers in Harland because it wasn't a very nice place to work at, work for or work in. Um, I was a nationalist, and that just didn't you know it wasn't a nice place to work in. So I had I had an idea in my head that I'd like to join the Air Corps. I think it was I'd seen so much military around the north that. Um, the idea got into my head, but certainly not to join the British Army, the RAF, and I came down initially, I think in about August 1972, and <clears throat> I came down and I met an officer here called Donald Lamont, and we talked about what was available, uh, and I kind of liked that, and I made up my mind then, at that stage, to, to that I would leave Short Brothers in Holland and join the Air Corps, and I think my mother and father were happy at that, to get out of Short Brothers.
6: I I developed um, a a very keen interest I always had an interest in aviation and aviation stories and I suppose stemming from the Second World War and I was also growing up in Malahide, surrounded by a lot of ex RAF pilots who'd flown in the war and and they were then flying with Aer Lingus so without realizing it I was soaking up stories I was hearing stories they were telling about their service in Burma or in Africa, or in Europe, during the course of the war. Um, But also there was a lot of aviation going around Malahide. It was on one of the approaches into one of the runways into Dublin, and there was always a bit of air traffic around the place. Can you
7: tell us about your family in the Defence Forces, or in the military, before? Yes, my father
8: was BQ Dinny O'Shea. He served in McDonough Barracks initially in the order room, and then he was transferred to Kilkenny in the early 80 no late early 70s and then he ended up back in kent uh, signals as the bq there he retired in 1997 after 44 years service i've also had uh, three brothers who served in the army uh, michael david and bobby that's my brothers i also have two nephews in okay. the army we grew up in the correll and i have a lot of friends um, we moved to the car i I moved to the car when i was two and a half years of age i think, and I left it a thirteen and a half years later fourteen years later to join the air corps
9: back back then jobs as i said jobs were scarce and uh, there was i remember hearing at the time there was five thousand applicants for for the air corps and uh, i remember uh, the interview took place in, in Collins' barracks in Cork would have been probably around uh, the middle of 1980 and uh, you went up and you know you see all the, the, these army lads marching around the place, you didn't really have a clue what you were getting into and um, so I went in did the interview don't really remember much about it, I know they asked me something about a fridge um, how a fridge worked and uh, kind of was able to get by that and they asked you yeah you bits did you ever work on cars and stuff like that and uh they seemed to be i think they they were they were happy enough with me that was it uh went away and then waited for for the letter to come in and uh, eventually the letter did come in um my mother actually had to write back to the defense forces to accept the position you know she felt it bad even 30 years later that she signed a letter uh, to let me leave the house at 16 to go off and work in Dublin you know Great so it um, was, uh, was tough on her it was emotional on her at the time but it was tough times because back then like there was very little money around and even we got when we went in we got 35 pounds a week was, was our initial wage and um like, I, I had to send a proportion of that home. I don't know whether young lads do that now, but I mean, it was expected that yeah. um, you put a fiver into an envelope and, and sent it home every week, you know.
10: Well, in April 94, uh, the 11th of April 1994, I joined the Defence Forces. Uh, that was in Gormanston. I remember going up on the day. Um, I I think the first thing that that actually hit me was I I thought at first I was the only female that seemed to be in the room, which it was when we were actually being being signed up. Um, It was quite an unusual experience, the actual time of joining, because we were the first mixed platoon in the Defence Forces, Uh, so there was a lot of local interest in it and we had radio shows that were interviewing us and sort of following us around. Uh, while there had been females, in, uh, many females in the Defence Forces before us, they, they had been trained separately. So this was going to be uh, a first. There was three platoons, two that were mixed and one was an all-male platoon. Um, the choice for the Defence Forces, I suppose I always had a big interest in sport and physical activity. Um, I had been working in the bank uh, after I left school up until I joined the defence forces. So, it was quite a change in employment, um, to move over. But it, it was something that I, that I saw would be a challenge and that I could find enjoyable. So, uh, yeah, the eleventh of April, up I popped to to Gormsdon.
11: Um I joined the defence forces in nineteen ninety four. Um, I the reason I joined was. You know, when you ask children when they're young what do they want to be, and I wanted to be a soldier. I have no idea at the time why I wanted to be a soldier, um, and some kids said they want to be train drivers or, I don't know, astronauts, and Georgina wanted to be a soldier and this was very unusual. Um, but it stayed with me and I was lucky enough to, to be able to join.
12: Currently it's just myself and my twin brother. Um, I joined one year ahead of my twin brother. Apart from that, we've no other family serving in the defence forces. He's pretty much following me around uh, the defence forces at the minute. He joined the Air Corps one year after me. I joined in September two thousand and eleven, uh, and Frankie joined in September two thousand and twelve. Um, I suppose he was a good career gu- guidance teacher in school. Um, I wouldn't have known too much about the Air Corps. Uh, being from Dundalk and County Louth, uh, we don't really have much kind of. Aircore aircraft flying overhead or anything like that. So it was a good career guidance teacher in school. Uh, you know, he, he knew that we were into the outdoors and we liked physics and maths um, subjects in school. So he advised us maybe to look into cadetships. So kind of read into it a wee bit more, looked up the uh, military.ie website and uh, checked out cadet cadetships. Looked into the army cadetship and the Air Corps cadetship. Um, <clears throat> after reading a bit more about the Air Corps it was something that i knew I, I wanted to do i wanted to be a, a pilot um in the military um i know there was options there where you know it was kind of discussed about going on and funding their own pilot training and maybe potentially going to the likes of ryanair or Erlingus, um after doing a, a commercial pilot's license outside but uh as they asked us in our preliminary well as they asked me in my preliminary interview how come we didn't go then the commercial route and you went to the military and went to the Air Corps. I, I told them, well, you don't get to fly upside down in, in the commercial uh, commercial aviation. So that's some of the draws. In, in the military you get to get involved in different operations and different roles and sometimes it's uh, quite varied and uh, it's very interesting work.
2: There was uh, 21 of us in the class who we were from all over the country and uh, Because we hadn't, there wasn't enough training here, we were divided into two classes. One class would uh, do ground subjects in the morning and fly in the afternoon. And then the the class that was flying in the morning would be uh, on the ground subjects in the afternoon. And that's the way it worked out during our period as until, until we had finished our basic training as cadets. Uh, some, about three or four, I think, at the class. It didn't make the grades, at various stages, they were, you know, they were uh, sent home. And uh, I qualified as a, I, I, I got, I went solo after about 10 or 11 hours flying. And that was that was roughly about the average, uh, the, the number of hours it took to, to go solo. And the aircraft we used at that time but was the miles magister and the miles master was chosen my aircraft uh we had i think there was about yeah uh, half a dozen of many were serviceable. and all the instructors at that time well there, there we had there was six i think six instructors and uh my instructor was Maliki Higgins from he was a lieutenant at the time, he was from Belfast. And when he thought that you had you know, that you were able to take off and land the aircraft with, without killing yourself or, or injuring anybody else, he handed you over to the chief flying instructor who did a flight at you. And if he, if, he, if you satisfied him as to your ability to, able to take off and land, but then he left you go solo. You just we solo you took off and landed. And that was all for that
7: day. My earliest memories, of course, must be joining the cadet school on the 24th of January 1949. I remember very well it was a very cold January. and We had snow and, indeed, we were a day late arriving in, in the Alma Mater. The cadet life, for me, it wasn't something I was afraid of. I liked the outdoor life. It suited me very well. I suppose the highlight of the cadet period was the Declaration of the Republic in 1949 when there was a very big parade, probably one of the biggest seen in Dublin, apart from the tattoo. And the cadets formed the Guard of Honor for the ceremony. Our first impressions of the Air Corps were A very quiet place at the time. It was winter and there wasn't very much flying. Our flying started in February 1950 in, of course, the old Miles Magister. The master had just gone out just before we joined. Uh, The ansons were still there. The martinet was still there. And, of course, the seafires were there. But we started on the Miles Magister. We did our abenicio training on that. And from there, we had the most peculiar training. Our initial advanced trainer, indeed, was the anson. And rather than going from a, a basic trainer to an, an elementary trainer like the provost, which we had at the time, we didn't have an advanced trainer because the master was the advanced trainer at that time. So the only thing they had at the time was the anson. So we went solo on the Anson, and after about 160 hours, it was marvelous to get into a twin-engine aircraft that time with one of your co-pupils to go solo. The war was only over five years. The signs of war were still around, and indeed our early training after our wings was all battle formation, air firing, and very much orientated towards a fear that somebody would Fired the shots again. Uh,
3: we were we were allocated uh, a, a room in the apprentice hostel. Uh, two people, two apprentices per room. But uh, we settled into the, into the hostel. You know, it was a big shock, obviously, getting used to army life. Yeah. Uh, first of all, putting on the uniform, which in those days was fairly basic. We had the grey back shirts, uh, and uh, you know the. Um, uh, the tunics, which were buttoned up to the collar, no ties or shirts in those days. Yeah. So you know, it was a big, it a big, uh, a big move getting into the uniform and just getting adjusted into 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 our, the army way of life. You know, and of course we had to do lots of uh, fatigues. Everybody was allocated a responsibility for cleaning some part of the apprentice school, and I had the front. I remember the front porch, or, or uh, the entrance porch which was always being messed up by guys coming in with muddy boots and I was always in trouble for not keeping yeah. it clean. But just, you remember those kind of things, and it's all part of uh, indoctrinate in, in being indoctrinated into the, into the Air Corps, you know. That's as a junior apprentice, it's your first year, you, you do all these, yeah. these kind of things, yeah. yeah.
7: And when did you start the military training part of it?
3: Well, the military starts training starts straight away. Like within within a week, you were doing square bashing and and learning how to stand to attention, and and then it progressed on to, to rifles. You know, during all during the first year, it coinciding with your technical training. And the technical training was quite intensive. You were attending classes all day, but but in the morning, most mornings there was military training. Mm. You know to be carried out as well, you know.
6: My first day in the Defence Forces then involved going down to the cadet school on, I think, was the 4th of October, the 4th of November, 1974, Monday. The first day was lovely, but I remember with horror the second day, because it started at 6.30 in the morning with a lot of shouting and roaring, mm-hmm. and, and, and rushed out to the hand basin and get shaved. Even though I was very fluffy at the time, I didn't have any beard, you shaved anyway. Yeah. And, and then you went down for breakfast, check parade at seven o'clock and then down for breakfast. Um, so it was harem-scarem then, and I couldn't figure out where all this was leading, because I I had noticed on the way into the Kura camp on the right-hand side of the main road, there were runway markers um, on the grass, and the Cessnas used to land there. In fact, the, the a 100 years ago, was a very busy flying training we, base. yeah. yeah. And the runways had been maintained, and we were using them for Cessnas, for pickups, for exercises. I didn't know that at the time. I thought the flying school was down yeah. there. And, I, and Dad said, where's all the airplanes? And I said to him, they're probably all out flying, because yeah, it's during work. So they will all come back at 5 o'clock or whenever the, the flights are over. Yeah, yeah, I don't know where the hangars are. But I got down there, and I re- re- recall with horror being told, and I think it was by Adrian Ryan, but Adrian told me, and revealed the horrible truth to me that i had to do nine months in the cadet school before i'd ever see an aircraft and if you didn't get through the cadet school you yep. wouldn't get to an aircraft <laughs> so uh, without realizing it he lit the biggest motivational light inside oh. me
9: ever the the initial military training site we came in uh i suppose it was a bit of a bit of a culture shock but probably coming from from a hard enough council background myself it wasn't like, I was used to the hard knocks, and, um, but it was the emotional tough, it was people roaring and screaming at you, uh, was probably more disturbing than than the physical side of things. We were two to a room at the time, two to a very small room, and the guy that you live with was called your wife. Um, he was termed your wife, and, and uh, you looked out for each other. And uh, people would always, to this day, will say, who is your wife in the hostel? You know, once we finished the military training bit, we were, we were up in the school then, uh, school packed, like, uh, all the classrooms full of apprentices, you know, uh, probably guts of, you know, I think our class was split into A, B and then avionics. So the guts of 20 odd people in each class and, um, into the classrooms and various subjects like um, airframe aircraft systems engines and then over into the apprentice hangar where you'd be doing uh sheet metal work and fitting and turning and that kind of stuff you know and that that like we used to we used to external exams like the sitting gills part one part two junior trades as well we didn't do the senior trades in the school we used to have to. It was up to yourself to go to Bolton Street um, In after the two years in the school, if you want to do your senior trades. But um, the house exams were the most important exams um, because that determined whether or not you, you, you actually uh, passed out as an aircraft apprentice. It didn't. Even though they wanted you to pass the City and Guild's exams, if you if you failed your house exams, the exams set by the instructors, then then you were going to fail. You could you could be thrown out, you know. But uh, none of us were thrown out, really. So we'd big classes and, uh, you know, you got through it. You know, the study wasn't mad because you had, it's not like you were off doing anything mad every night because you'd know where to go. So you had nothing to do but maybe do a bit of study in the evenings. Yeah. And that's what we used to do. So
7: tell us what happened then after the first day, like, you know,
13: and things
14: kind of
13: get okay. a bit <laughs> Yeah, so then it was into recruit training. Um, luckily for me, I was a black belt in karate at the time, so I was fit. And I think if you have fitness on your side, mm. um, to get your head around, like anybody, to get your head around what was going on, that just came with time. Yeah. Um, we kind of we had a good class. We looked out for each other. The guys were good. They gave us a, the, the girls, we all got on. Um, it wasn't particularly a bad time for me recruit training Um probably my three star course I found harder but my recruit training no I it, it was yeah. fine now whether I blacked it out or not I don't know <laughs> but it was fine it was fine Um no mad stories no mad it, it just it started it happened I made good friends Um buddied off that first day being buddied off with uh, Des Kirk who I'd never obviously met before and uh, John Murphy it was a great thing that he did you know and you had to go away you three days to find out everything about that person and to this day Des is probably one of the best friends that I have yeah. you know
1: he's still
5: here as
9: well.
13: and he's still here you know
1: so then we started into ground school um, and ground school was very similar to how it still is and um, what we did is we did the airline transports pilots license ground school syllabus so theory we were sitting in the classroom um for nearly six seven months um all of the lectures delivered to us by the instructors in the flying school um on mass and balance um principles of flight meteorology navigation electrics electronics power plant um human performance uh, communications i'm going to forget a few now but there was uh, 13 or 14 exams uh that we sat at the end at the end of the 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 the, the cycle um, which again was, you know, very long, very drawn out, but really, really interesting. And it was, you kind of really felt like you were getting somewhere. You know, you were talking about airplanes, you were learning about airplanes, you were sitting in airplanes to see all of the systems and that sort of stuff.
0: And just to move forward
7: again, when you went solo mm-hmm. flying on your own, um, obviously you've been flying for a long time many years
1: before how did it feel it's funny because like you, you think when, when you're sitting here and, and even now as, as I'm, I'm now signing off on guys to go solo you know and I, I always think well Jesus now it must be so daunting and it must be so you know you must be really nervous And but to be honest with you you're so engrossed in the procedures mm. and in following your checklist and making sure your speed is right and all the, the various different things that keep you safe, that to be honest with you, it's only when you land yeah. that you realize, Jesus, I've just done that, you yeah. know? And I even see one, one, of, one of the guys uh, in the 33rd cadet cast literally just went solo today, what I was doing just before, just before now. And, and I said, to him, I said, well, how, how did that feel? And he said, it felt brilliant, but it was over before I realized that it had yeah. started, you know?
15: The situation then was not like today, you didn't have your wings and commissioning on the same day you had your wings day was a separate day um when you qualified for wings that was the that was the air corps ceremonial if you like so therefore we had a wings day here uh, in early september my wings were presented by jerry o'connor pinned on me by jerry o'connor i suppose the one thing that i've often said to people about wings day that i remember is You know, at the end of wings, they play Go Our Thoughts on Golden Wings or Verdi's Nabucco. The first wings I ever attended was the wings course of the class ahead of us. I knew that piece of music because my father played classical music all the time, so I, I had heard that piece of music many times before. So I always remember it being played for the class. And we were stood to attention at the back as the junior class and wondering whether I would ever hear that piece of music for me right and I remember when it was played on Wednesday only then did I realise actually you've made it there
16: was an ad in the paper that my mother saw sent it over to me in England I applied came over did the interview in Brickens got the job and started in August 77 as a, as a lieutenant okay. and I think you were asking then about my commissioning Yeah. you see it was real holiday season um, it was August Jerry O'Connor was the colonel at that stage. He hadn't become brigadier general. At that stage, there was no general in the air corps. It was just the colonel was the boss, and then there was a bunch of left-wing colonels under him. And uh, Jerry, I think, was on leave the first week, maybe even the first couple of weeks. So I was here, I was getting paid, but uh, I hadn't actually been commissioned. And then Jerry came back off leave, and I was told to uh, go down to his office. And I went down to his office, and Jerry... He was a real gent, but he was a gruff old carry man, you know, and he, you know, so you're a new engineer officer. And I said, I am, sir. Yeah. Very nice to meet you. And he said, oh, yes, I mean, oh, uniform, you know, and I said, no, I'm working on it. I'm talking to Pender to get a uniform. And he says, right. So, and he gives me the Bible and, uh, I was commissioned in Jerry O'Connor's office in my civilian suit. <laughs> and, uh, I don't think we even. Maybe we went down to the bar and had a glass of glass of beer, but I, I don't think so. So the situation in seventy-five, going
4: in uh, around seventy-five, was that there was only three officers in ATC, and one of them was due to leave in the in the short term. Okay. And in fact, by the time Jim McMahon and I got back from the car offer officers course, he had left. So there was a crisis.
7: Right.
4: And the Air Corps made a case to send. There was a potential officers course due to start in July. And uh, the Air Corps made a case to send two of the NCOs on the course. And Jim McMahon and I, I think primarily because we had radar ratings, uh, were selected to go on that course. So they had to reassemble the um, the okay. interview board and interview us. And uh, we were then parachuted onto a course, which had started six weeks earlier. Uh, we arrived on the course uh, in about mid-August of '75, And... Uh, they were, the, the remainder of the course, the other 20 people on the course, were just coming back from their annual leave. And uh, we joined them then on the next phase of the course. Okay. And uh, we continued on the course through until the end. And we were commissioned on the 15th of June, 1976.
12: Yeah, but it does, like, I realise even then my dad, and my dad would like to be home a guard after him, but I'll never forget the day passed eight that smile he had in his face, like, <laughs> just because I got runner-up best soldier uh in recruit training they wouldn't give me best soldier because I did a couple of years in the fca so they couldn't give it to me so we got runner-up best soldier i just remember like how proud he was like yeah. so i wasn't super duper in school I was more into the practical subjects. it only it's only now looking back and all that and you realize what i've done and mm-hmm. where i am now like it's makes sure, you like it like I say we underplay what we do an awful lot in yeah. this job you know you don't realize it so i had a lot i actually
14: had a i had a lot of family there uh it was just such a, it was a big, big occasion for me. It was huge, um and, and for my family, it was it was a big day uh, that I'd uh, fulfilled my life ambition of becoming a pilot in the Air Corps.
7: Okay.
14: Um. My my nana was there, and um, and she would have been. She was ninety. She was ninety when it was cadet. I didn't get to go to her birthday because I wasn't granted a weekend leave pass by the cadet school. Um, so she was 90, that was 2005, so she was almost 92. And uh, the ceremony went off without a hitch. We, we counted her steps. Uh, Brigadier General Ralph James uh, pinned her wings on her chest. Um, How would that make you feel? Uh, I cried. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. For a number of years, that was the highlight of my life, was getting my wings pinned on my chest. And
7: obviously your dad was there.
14: He and, was looking yeah. straight at me.
7: Okay, so...
14: Uh, again, because he was uh, colonel. Uh, he was on parade as well. He was sitting right beside uh, Ralph James. Um, so he was looking right, right at me.
8: I went to Hellies in 1978, yes. Well, I was very lucky in one way. Um, I remember in 1980, 1980, 1980, I think it was, 1979, 1980, Aer Lingus arrived in here and they took an awful lot of people out of the Baldono. You remember that? And... So we kind of got stepped up. We were just under apprenticeship. Our apprenticeship wasn't finished until September in 80, and they were taking them on before that, so we couldn't get the jobs in Aer Lingus, so our senior class got them and our senior seniors. So we automatically had to step up to the mark. We had a, about a five-year experience. Gap went missing there. So we got lucky, our class. We were given chances to go and move on and get better jobs. The Air Corps started to advertise. There was
4: uh, a new establishment in the Air Corps in 1980 and they couldn't fill it in-house uh so throughout the whole defense forces uh admin vacancies were were, were published and i got the job as orderly room sergeant of training wing at that stage i came out to the air corps in september 1980 uh, slotted into my new unit It was great. It was totally different. Uh, Once I got over the shock of long hair and near beards and people who were aircraft technicians and not military orientated.
8: Quite a
12: lot of personnel had left the Air Corps at that stage. In about 88, 89, a lot of people were given the opportunity. Qantas had come in Mm. and were looking for aircraft technicians. So quite a lot of people and uh, left the Air Corps and uh, travelled to Australia. So it just felt that there was a lot of vacancies.
13: So I was here in the Air Corps and I was pregnant. I was in the avionics workshop. There was no female toilet. I was very, very sick with morning sickness. And I remember, and that's not that long ago. Was, and I remember having to bring plastic bags everywhere I went. And I remember hiding around corners of buildings, corners of hangars, getting sick. Because there was nowhere for me to yeah, go yeah. back then. So then, on my second pregnancy, they built a toilet in uh, avionics
5: yeah.
13: upstairs and uh, they kind of partitioned off and built a toilet, female toilet. Happy days. But then <laughs> when I had the baby and came back off maternity leave, the toilet was taken back off me.
11: And my own brother was a squadron, in the same squadron as me, uh, which was weird, having your own brother in the same squadron as you. We had a... What we call the safe and private Ryan rule was uh, we weren't allowed to fly together operationally in case something happened to the aircraft. They didn't want to have to write two letters to my mother. <laughs> so we were allowed to train together, but we weren't allowed to fly together. We weren't allowed to fly operationally. We weren't allowed to do search and rescue together, but we were allowed to because of the higher risk profile. In fact, I remember one time I was doing a training flight with Shane, and he was my examiner. I was doing an instrument flight in and I was, in a, it was, a, it was a, a rating flight, and he was my examiner. And I think it might have been the first time I ever flew with him. But I was on an NDB approach into Gormanstown, which is a non directional beacon approach, IF approach, tricky approach. And I was inexperienced, just trying to keep up, keep ahead of the aircraft. And I was halfway through the final approach course, and I could hear it in the comms, and my brother turned to me and said, You know, you're adopted, don't you? And I'm saying, Not now. I and mean, you know, really, you're adopted. And so I was coming in, struggling to fly this aircraft, and IF approach while your brother tells you you're adopted. So uh, it was probably for good reason that we weren't actually paired together much. <laughs>
13: Like, it's, it's hard to remember things that happen. And it's only sometimes when the girls ask me different things and stories. And I remember my daughter was doing anthropology mm. and she she was doing some project she had to do and she was asking loads of questions. And she asked me, when did I realize I belonged here? You know, I could and I remember answering her. We were and it was back in the time of the hostel when we were in recruit training and the seniors were there and we were there and we were all kept in one weekend oh, we were actually kept in for six weeks at a time because something was after happening and it was Saturday morning and there was a big clean up going on and we were finished and it was a real sunny day and we had dragged the mattresses out of the hostel out onto the green in front of the hostel the small little um, the old hostel out the back of the old hostel there's green in front of where the trees are now yeah but they were quite small at the time and there was a guy in my senior class for the life of me I can't think of his name was absolutely brilliant on the guitar and singing. And I still remember to this day, we were all lying out in the grass and he was lying down on the mattress with the guitar singing, playing the guitar and singing. And everybody was just chilling out and relaxing. And I just remember that moment thinking, this going to be okay, it's going to be okay here.
17: Towards the end, I mean, I was conscious of the fact that being a captain, I was moving towards commandant and really I wanted to say flying And I was going to move more and more towards an administrative job. And I had missed out in 1974 because I had applied for Aer Lingus, but uh, I only had a helicopter commercial license, Mm. not a fixed ring license. And they wouldn't even consider me. So by 70, 76, I had got my fixed ring license and um, I was considered by Aer Lingus And, and I remember General O'Connor was OC Air Corps at the time and I'm going up to him and I asked for an interview, with, that was the way at the time, he asked for an interview with with GOC Air Corps and uh, when I went into the office he said sit down Croak, what do you want? And I said, um, well, sir, you probably saw that there was an ad in the paper for Aer Lingus Pilots on Sunday and um, I was thinking of applying and he said you'd be an Egypt not to. <laughs>
11: when people ask me am i staying in the air corps i can't answer yes or no but when my son asks me and he does what did you do today it it makes a massive difference to me to be able to say if if i found i may not have flown the helicopter but i can tell you what number three did today and even if i never do that again and i never meet anybody again that i've that my unit and i have helped yeah i can rest easy knowing that yeah i'm very happy to know that there's people out there that have that we have made a difference. We're not naive to think we're the thin line between life or death, but to make a difference and to have a job that is worthwhile. The current motto for the Defence Force is strengthen the nation. A more brutal motto I don't think you could find. I think the previous one from years ago, A Life Less Ordinary,
0: I think that was perfect.
11: That's what it is. And that's what I love about it. That's why I'm still here.
0: For more information on the Irish Air Corps, check out our social media channels and our website, military.ie. The Irish Defence Force podcast will be back soon with another episode. Until then, thanks for listening and stay safe.